0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. This is uh, Paul Axton, and today we're continuing with the discussion. Uh, Jason and I, with the discussion about post-liberalism, and Jason then is bringing his perspective that. Post-liberalism is not simply more fundamentalism. The idea here is that from his perspective, what he's getting uh, in a Mennonite tradition and from a more liberal understanding is a misunderstanding on the other side of post-liberalism that would just confuse it with fundamentalism. So ironically, We have the fundamentalists imagining it's liberal and the liberals imagining it's fundamentalism. The problem is there is a kind of obscurity on both of their parts, the modernist obscurity, to apprehend something outside of a modernist perspective. And so here in part two, we cover this and cover several issues pertinent to this, and continue the conversation. Hope you enjoy.
1: On that issue, um, the issue of gender, uh, LGBTQ issues, I think the thing that uh, in the last few years that has given me great pause is living with someone whose brain was different from birth one of the things that that comes out about him frequently you'll hear somebody say well i and for those of you that are listening my stepson uh, noah is autistic and, and my wife has done a great deal of research, theological and psychological research, and trying to understand this theologically. But uh, every now and then you'll hear someone say, well, I appreciate Noah because he reminds us that we live in a fallen world. For, in some some way, that feels like the right thing to say to them. But you know, deep down, what they really are saying is, well, Noah's a great picture of what's wrong with the world. And... <laughs> You know, um, they, they mean it well. Unfortunately, you can do a lot of damage meaning it well, right? I think that one of the things that the understanding of atonement that we have been at Forging plowshare has been trying to articulate is it, it really changes our understanding of what we mean by sinful and fallen. Rather than seeing, you know, um, in the sort of classic, and this I think ties in really well with the blog you wrote last Mm -hmm. week on original sin, that sort of sees sin as the stuff that makes God angry, that makes him have to punish us, he can't look at. When in reality, I think that we should probably think of sin more as a departure from what God's intended order was and it may be something that we sometimes inherit. I don't believe that autism was a thing because of how much pain it's caused for Noah and for his family as they've had to wrestle with living with it in in a world that's not very not very accommodating. He was born with that. Uh-huh. Now is that is that a a feature of a world that's not working the way it was designed? Sure. Is that beyond the redemptive power of God? No. Is it something that we expect is just going to be magically erased this side or even after the resurrection? Probably not. But is this something that can be redeemed by God? I think it is. If you're going to wrestle with this kind of stuff, and this is something I think folks in the disability community very often come to accept before other folks, is that you're going to have to be get comfortable with not knowing And with not being able to answer all these questions with a neat, tidy bow, that things are going to have to stay messy. Our preacher today, she had a a wonderful message on the Uh prodigal son and talked about the messiness of that story and Uh living each of those parts that uh, followers of Christ ought to to recognize themselves Uh in all three of these positions, the father and the, the two sons and that that's a really messy way to live. To me that's uh, that's a way to deal with scripture that's a little bit healthier than either feeling like we have to hold fast to one very superficial reading and hold that out and if you don't believe that then you're a uh, postmodernist versus just deleting things that don't immediately fit into mm-hmm. our preferred mm-hmm. way of looking at the world. These are things I've been been had to face up for uh, for a couple of years now and uh, it's really kind of hit ahead reached ahead with us well
0: i think we're it, it's the same subject and that is that our tendency is uh, is to always want to find some position that we can own that we can in some way proclaim well i own this thing and this truth is something that is about the size of my brain and of course what we're what we're describing is, well, no, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have to be, a, I always think of George Washington Carver, you know, he says, I prayed, Lord, I want you to show me the mysteries of the universe. And he said, God answered back and said, well, George, considering who you are, how about starting with the peanut? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, here's the genius right, right. of his age. Well, yeah, we've got to recognize that truth is something bigger than we are and that we encounter truths and, and situations uh, in Christ, beautiful truth, truth that will continue to unfold for us. And then we also encounter the realities of the world that sometimes are not so beautiful that, that, that there's evil in the world. And we don't quite know what to do with that. And I think our tendency is the same, is to give some simple pat answer, uh, especially when it happens to somebody else. In fact, other people's problems or evil is easier for us to explain. You know, pat them on the back and said, well, I'm sure God is using this, (laughs) which of of course is the friends of Job position. They can explain to Job all about his evil problems. And Job is thrown into a situation of faith uh, in which there is no law of the universe. I think that's what they're really wanting to do. They're the equivalent of the modernists. They want to say, well, here's the way the law works. Here's the scientific method. And under this method, we can tell you exactly the law of God and how it functions. And Job, unfortunately... Uh, According to our calculations, you are either a sinner, and thus God is punishing you, or you're a blasphemer if you should deny this. That's their two positions. That's all they got. You're either with us or you're of the devil. And, of course, neither is true. Job's faith is in some way in God, who is larger than that situation, larger than the rules of the universe as apprehended by his friends. And I think it very much speaks to kind of the modernist dilemma, that in some way we would always boil things down to either a theodicy, let me explain evil to you, or to, in some way, encapsulating God and, and the truth that we have in some form that we could control, manipulate, distribute. In some way, I think there's... I, I, actually, today I was talking about communion. It comes out most blatantly here, mm-hmm. doesn't it? That you have various positions on communion and what people want to do with that is, I think, what they want to do with truth. Now, you people are okay. You can come and take. You people are not okay. And so in some churches, what you have is they're going to draw the line and say, here's the way this truth Mm -hmm. functions. In other churches, there is the idea that it's all inconsequential in any way. And, of course, what the reality is, no, this thing is hosted by Christ. And we don't invite people. Uh, we're not. It's not. We're not hosting it. And we don't keep people out. In other words, we're just guests at this thing. And that means that it's bigger than the we
1: thing that I've appreciated about where we've been going to church is the intentionality of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is handed to you. Someone reminds you, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. Uh, Vange and I were talking about this this morning. Uh, the people line up and they go and they kneel and they're handed the, the elements. They're reminded and it's touching. Some people look up at the person who's handing it to them. We all have already partaken and I'll be sitting and I'll just, I, I like to watch. There's people lined up and it reminds me of children children who are waiting in line for a gift. There's something very special about it. The rector always says, the gifts of God for the people of God. They have a very restoration movement sort of thing in the bulletin that says, you know, you're welcome. We're not the ones who get to decide whether or not you come and have communion, but you're welcome to come. And there's all kinds of folks. There's folks with disabilities. There's folks with Down syndrome. There's Little children. I saw these two cute little girls, just as young as they could be, um, kneeling and receiving the bread and the wine. These older folks who are in their 80s, maybe older. And there's a whole line of people waiting all the way in the back to the back. And I just think, what a touching thing. It's folks waiting to receive the bread, the body and blood of Christ. And to commune. And then they say this wonderful thing. They have a box for the folks that um, are shut in, and there's a blessing for the Eucharistic visitor. And then we all say a little prayer that says that we are one people because we eat one bread and one and drink from one cup. It's reminding ourselves that there are people outside of this little gathering, who are part of our body, and this, and we are blessing this person to go and take the body and blood of Christ to them. It's very intentional, and it's something I missed growing up in a church where we took communion every Sunday and made a big deal out of that, but there wasn't much to it. There were, we weren't sure what we were doing, but on the other hand, this church has has made a big deal out of that, and it seems to mean something to folks.
0: As I've been thinking about this, that I, I've sort of brought two things together in my thinking, and I'm not enough of a scholar of, of any sort to work it out completely. But of course, the idea that in atonement theory in the early church, it's clearly, I think, a Christus Victor that in some way that we've shifted from that, the belief that what Christ does is to defeat sin, death, and the devil, and deliver us from that sort of oppression which is very much on the order of the original Passover, a deliverance from slavery and death, was there depicted, I think, and that's what you find in the early church when they celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. And Eucharist, of course, is a good word. It just means that it is a thanksgiving for that deliverance. I think as you shift atonement theory, is an infatuation with law, in Roman law in particular, and abstractions, Roman abstractions, mm-hmm. that it's precisely as you get the shift in atonement theory that, of course, you get the controversies surrounding the nature of the Lord's Supper. So again, it's the, is, I'm afraid, people wanting to take control of truth in a way that maybe is not simply Receiving, and that's where you get the pictures of controversy surrounding transubstantiation, and and of course, eventually, that as penal substitution or, or divine satisfaction. Brother takes hold in the Catholic Church, and and to say Catholic at some point, that's sort of all of it. You
1: us, were talking right? about Job and the the sort of having the easy answers, and and I think that that is one of the sicknesses that is to blame for the sort of liberalism conservatism binary there, that false binary that says you these are the two options. Part of it is a, an unwillingness to suffer. And I think you captured this in, um, I want to say it was the piece that you wrote most recently about Constantinian Christianity, or that was a part of it. I think um, that having a nice answer, a quick answer, protects us from the, what, the implication. I mean, the reason somebody comes up to you when you've got a, a disabled kid and says you know god's given this person to you because you're so special and of course the the parent of the disabled kid is saying well god don't why don't you quit doing me favors that (laughs) parent loves that disabled kid as much as as anybody as any other parent and doesn't want to watch this kid have more struggles that most kids don't have thanks a lot that's but that's that Job stuff. And what that does, and you can't see what I'm doing here, but I'm holding my hand out like a you know, like a police officer saying, stop, right? It holds that person and that problem out away from you. So you can sort of explain it away as, this is why it's not happening to me. And it's a way to feel safer and feel like you have the world figured out. And that's why I think that all theodicies really are attempting to do is trick ourselves into saying, well, this is why I don't have to suffer. When the message of the cross, and I think Job's conclusion at the end of the book is the right one. That's the whole point. I see now I didn't know what I was talking about. I see now that I couldn't possibly know. That's the whole monologue from God at the end, you know, the last several chapters where God is saying, you know, where were you? What do you understand? What do you know about stars? What do you know about water? What do you know about skies? What do you know about this? What do you know about that? Well, you can't. I couldn't possibly explain it to you. Job's conclusion is, I see now I didn't know what I was talking about, um, and he trusts that good things right. come from God. None of that's resolved until the cross, and in the, in the cross, here is God sharing in the sloppiness and the suffering and the pain and redeeming that in the resurrection. The goal is to let it be what it is and to participate in it and to, to be comfortable with not having all those easy answers, I think. At least that's something that helps me make sense of it.
0: Yeah, now I'm thinking of Stanley Harris's story. Maybe that's why his own suffering has made him the sort of theologian that he, he is that in his uh, autobiography, his his relationship to his wife who clearly suffered from uh, mental illness at the end, you know, he just has to ask, well, what was the meaning of her life? It, it, he couldn't find any because she betrayed him and did all sorts of things to it. I guess that we can say that we can't in, in some way get above this thing. We can't control it. And I, I think our attitude toward suffering is, in fact, not to pass through it, but to escape it. Our attitude toward death is not to pass through it. But to put it off on someone else to escape it in the way that we would deny death is violence. And in some way, we would put it on someone else violently. And I think there's all sorts of violence, that we can be literally violent, physically violent. But our attitudes in alienating and distancing ourselves from others is already a kind of violence and so when you say those sorts of things to people that in some way distancing yourself from their suffering the little tiny bits of suffering that faith and i have gone through and i know you've experienced the same thing that what you discover very quickly about people is that they don't want to get too close to you or too near to you because that suffering may be catching and so in the midst of needing people the most, it's precisely then that they will, are most likely to abandon you. I mean, you have to admire the friends of Job. At least they stuck around for a period to have a conversation. They were friends in that sense. Maybe they weren't real good friends. But I think what you're, you're describing is that the, the idea that what people are saying is that they don't recognize that, in fact, they're distancing themselves from the realities of suffering and from the realities of the world, that they're denying themselves the capacity for sympathy or empathy with those who are passing through suffering because they don't want to share in it. They want no
1: part of it. And the very reasoning that we tend to give, well, there's a reason for this. God's got a reason for it. God's given it to you for a reason. God never gives you more than you can bear. Those are all an attempt to to dismiss it, to uh, walk away from it, to say this is your thing to bear and not mine. Um, and those are all the, the answers that I think also Jesus rejects specifically when uh, a great example is when he's approached, why is this man blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus just says, well, neither of those things, but I'll, I'll show you how God can be glorified. Then he brings healing. It's not a great example when you're talking about somebody with a disability because they don't always get up out of their wheelchair. Or they don't always uh, suddenly start to be able to see. What I think we see Jesus doing a lot is spending time. What's, what's as important for Jesus, uh, for folks that are dealing with disability and folks that have been in pain, I think... Um, one of the things that we see about Jesus and the way he he handles folks with uh, with diseases or folks who've been who've been lame or folks with leprosy or folks who've been in prostitution is he finds a way to welcome them in as part of the community again i think touching the leper is as valuable to the leper as healing the leper because you know you've been untouchable for perhaps your whole life and now you wonder what i mean the gospel writers are very careful to say and jesus touched him but you wonder about a person with leprosy having everybody looking at you and and walking away in disgust or being terrified to touch you what it must have felt like And, and i picture i picture this man or this woman closing their eyes as someone touches their skin and how important it is to be touched. That belonging, that's the redemption of the kingdom. Rather than coming up with some answer that wraps it up neat and tidy so that I don't have to think about it, what Jesus does is get involved with people and live in the mess. And so this is part of the message today. Jesus is not bringing a philosophical system to the world. He is God living in as a human in this messy, this messy world. And so he tells, you know, the story of the prodigal son is full of Mm. messy problems and we're invited just to live in that family and try to understand each person in it without deciding whether or not we think this fits in with what we know to be true or whether or not this needs to be applied to our neighbor to determine whether or not they, they belong in the club.
0: Hayden uh, had studied with Stanley Horowitz, in, and in the discussion of post-liberalism, people kept proposing, well, here are these theories, or here is this understanding. His point was, well, why don't you just worship that theory? And, of course, that's what, in, in, in a sense, I think theory, philosophy, theology as theory that reduces down to formulas, that reduces down to doctrine unfortunately can all keep us distant from the mess which is love that to really love other people you have to be there with them in some way and the whole impetus in christianity and theology is not a, a, to come up with a theory or a doctrine or a formula that in some way will serve in place of that or will in fact displace love which that's the grand irony you know in the uh, discussions or or controversies surrounding the Eucharist, is that by the time you come to the Protestant Reformation, what's at stake is actually war. The Protestants are wanting to unite over and against the Roman Empire, and one of the ways they will will unite is is their understanding of what the meaning of the Eucharist is. They probably already missed it. If the point right. is to, to in exactly. some way, all oh, we're going to unite against these people on this.
1: Place. I was just going to say, I think that really brings us around to, you know, back to the full circle to the main, the main point of this conversation, which was in dealing with theological conservatism and theological liberalism, that these two are both very bad solutions to the wrong problem. Right, the Bible is not a book. That, that claiming the Bible as authoritative is not to to say that um, therefore these particular propositions that people have understood it to be saying, which damage people, are therefore true. Um, and it's also, but that the Bible is a this collection of of writings that we believe articulates a story of God working within a culture to reveal Himself and to reveal His will. These stories being authoritative means that we are not. (laughs) Ultimately, the goal in us being authoritative is to protect us from participating in the very thing that I think the scripture is calling us to participate in, and that is the life of Jesus, which God willingly participates in. That we're always sort of trying to push that off and keep that a safe distance from us by either... Looking at this as a series of propositions that we have to defend or a, a series of, of naive right. pre modern stories that we have to critique. I
0: I think that's a beautiful
1: story. Well, I couldn't say it again if I tried. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you
0: don't need to <laughs> It's captured for all time <laughs> well, to become no. a, an eternal truth here.
1: Yeah, I, that arms arms arms. Arms. we can all get behind. <laughs> 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 and, it, and if you know yeah. don't believe me, you're going straight to yeah. hell, so. <laughs>
0: As usual, it's just been a wonderful time. Well, thanks for
1: letting me chime in. I. I was jealous of your conversation with Hayden because um, I, I was jealous. I was I was thrilled that you guys had had that conversation and it had gone out. And I'm excited that it it got as much attention as it did. Um, I think it's um, I think this is an important discussion.
0: Yeah, I was certainly hitting some some notes, and so I hope this one. I'm sure this one is is. is, is... Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative, biblical, and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website, at ForgingPlowshares.org